Uh, we are entering a new series today. It happened to be fortuitous. Help somebody help me out. That one. Uh, that it landed on Father's Day, and I was supposed to kind of have a nice, light-hearted, encouraging legacy sermon. But you all know me longer than that. So the quote that I want to begin with this morning is this. Uh, from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. It's kind of classic. I was reading it for some research that I'm doing about um, something else. Uh, and he says this. <laughs> just following this is just... Uh, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Which is not to say you aren't intelligent, gifted, or deep. But it is to say that I found this to be a convicting passage. What was really fascinating about this is that this was written, take a guess, how many years ago? Close, but you're a cheater because you know this book. Forty years ago. It is. Forty years ago. Have we gotten less superficial, less demanding? Have we gotten more accustomed to waiting? Of course, the answer to these things is no. I was struck by another text that I ran into this week. Uh, It comes from Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, Verse 10, which says this. This is uh, God speaking to Moses, who then delivers this to the priesthood. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm not a priest here today. But if if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then you are. Peter calls us the priests, the kingdom of priests, that we have a task within the world. If you're a Christian here today, you have a task within the world to do this very thing. And here, here he says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. Maybe that doesn't strike you, but that hit me like a ton of bricks this week. That we distinguish between holy things and common things. Holy things, if you're sort of not a Christian and you're like, I don't know what that word means. Let me explain it for just a second. That means that those things that are deep and true and real, the things that are of God, the things that dwell in the presence of God, those things, those are holy. They've been set apart for that perfect purpose. And then there are common things. And here I don't want you to take into your mind evil things. It doesn't mean evil things. It doesn't mean bad things. It means common things. We all have toilets. Yes, right? And and if anything breaks in my house, I was thinking about what's the most important thing. Immediately I thought the internet, which is broken at my house currently. But I thought far more important is my toilet. If that breaks, we're in trouble. Right? That is a common piece. It's, it's common. It's important. We all use it. But it's not a holy thing. That's probably a bad illustration. But you get the point. We are to distinguish as Christians for the world, which is wrapped up not only in common things, but also profane things. On the other end, there's profane things that are, are outside of the realm of goodness. We are to stand in the gap between the holy and the common. 
And what I see happening in the church today is that we are being pulled apart at our seams because we are no longer capable of determining the difference between the profane and the common, let alone the holy. This came across my news feed from a minister friend of mine, of course, in regards to the uh, Supreme Court decision about baking cakes and all of that stuff. Whether or not you should or shouldn't bake a cake is not really important to me this morning. So wherever you stand on that issue, I don't care. Um, We can argue about that later on. What I was shocked at is the doing the wedding. And what I found fascinating was that this is an issue that is pulling churches apart. This book, this book was written by my great-great-grandfather. He was a preacher in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition. And in this book, he speaks vociferously, which is just a fun word. (laughs) Pressure, friends. About the dangers of playing cards. (sighs) Playing cards. Isn't it fascinating? Playing cards, I would not call a profane thing. Playing cards is a common thing. It's a waste of time. Fun, waste of time, but it is nevertheless a waste of time. You will never on your deathbed say, you know what? I played more cards. But we are as Christians in modern society, we have moved from asking questions about what is holy and Christians should be diving and spending their life in because you are the priests of the living God and the common things. And now we are over here being stretched and pulled apart between what is common and what is profane. What does God say? Have nothing to do with. Have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. We can't even tell that anymore. And this drives me to these texts that we're talking about today and the importance of the word legacy. What are we going to leave behind? What are you going to leave behind? What is ODCC going to leave behind? We're for your children, your grandchildren, people who you just encounter in your normal life. We are moving today into a new section of Deuteronomy, the last section, and all of God's people rejoiced. And the last section, you've been in Deuteronomy for so long, you're like, when are we going to leave? Well, we're leaving it, so be happy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I get extra Jesus points for you. You remember with me that Deuteronomy is a series of sermons, 3,000-year-old sermons that Christians and, uh, and others have, have read and held onto for 3,000 years. We've been telling these stories. It is a massive amount of time. And it begins with chapters 1 through 11, which expounds upon the history of the people of God. And we've got some guests today. And so let me give you that in a, in a nutshell. God's people were down here in Egypt, viciously oppressed by the hands of the Egyptians. And God, with his power and might, he Charlton Hestoned them out of Egypt with ten plagues. So violent, so terrifying, that the Egyptians said, go. And God brought them to the borders Of this land, the land flowing with pizza and cookie bars, the land of milk and honey, the land of goodness, the land of promise. But the enemies of the Israelites looked too strong, and their fear kept them back. And God said, if you won't trust me, you can't go in the land. And so God sent them down, 
And they wandered in the wilderness. This is the wilderness. For 40 years. And Deuteronomy opens up with this situation where after 40 years, the Israelites have now been brought back to the Jordan. The opportunity is there for them again to grasp a hold of the promise that God has given them. Will you grab it? Will you take it? Will you take what God has for you? Allow him to go forth first, defeat your enemies, and go into the land. And as the people begin to say, yeah, we've, we're tired of wandering in the wilderness. We're ready. We're ready for the land of cookie bars and pizza. Moses says, hold up. I got to preach. <laughs> and all the people groaned. Because as you can see, he's long-winded, right? 33 chapters. He moves then into the central section, the central section which we were just leaving after last Sunday where he reviews and talks about the different laws, the ways of God. How are we to live in this land? How are we supposed to understand the God that has, has created all things? And how are we to understand ourselves and our identity within that? And then how are we to live our lives in light of the identity and the worldview that God has given us? And now we come to 27 through 32. We might call this series Moses' Last Words. Moses is about to die. He is about to die. And these are his last words to the people. And maybe this is too morbid for a Father's Day sermon, especially following that. What would your last words be? What would your last words be? Moses is trying to leave for them a legacy. He wants a people who is strong and courageous, a people who can take the land and who can live in the land. And if they live in the land according to God's ways, they can live long in the land. But if they live in opposition to God's ways, then their end will be terrible. And in this story, we have emerging forth the one who is going to take hold of the legacy of Moses and carry it on. And that man is Joshua. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. If you didn't, just grab the pew Bible. It's in the pew in front of you. It's the exact same one I'm using. It's on page 172, second column, big three, one. Read a couple of texts in here so that you can just see this happening. And then we're going to look at a few places later or earlier in the story where we can learn a little bit about who Joshua is and how Moses interacted with him in such a way as to create a strong leader, a man whose legacy can continue on in Joshua and then on beyond Joshua and the men and women that Joshua himself invests in. And so in chapter 31, we open up. It probably has, if you're using the Bible that I'm using here, it's got a little subtitle there. Joshua is to succeed Moses. That's what's to happen. 31 verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old and I am no longer able to go out and come in. Which is understandable at 120 years old. They didn't have those little... Scooter things that they got at the store. What are those called? Motor scooters. I don't know. Whatever they're, yeah. That would have been handy. I lost my place. I am no longer able, I already read that. The Lord has said to me, you shall go, not go over to Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you, and he will destroy the nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the great enemies of Israel. And then Moses, in verse 7, uh, summons Joshua and says to him, In the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that 
the Lord has sworn to give to their fathers, and you shall put them in possession of it. Jump down to verse 14. Again, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days are approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him, that I may call him in to be a holy, my, my holy agent, and, and, and then we're going to send him forth. He is going to be uh, one of the pinnacle priests, as it were, who is showing forth that which is holy and that which is common and steering the people away from that which is profane. Uh, and then in verse 23 there, the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, said, be strong and courageous for you are to bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give to their fathers. So here we see in these texts, Moses is, is dying, his time is up, and he is now going to hand the reins of the people over to Joshua, and Joshua is prepared and ready to take it, which, which provokes in me the important question of, who's your Joshua? See, this isn't a Father's Day sermon because I'm not talking about, uh, about sons and fathers. Joshua is not Moses' son. You notice that. Joshua is just a guy that has invested his time in Moses, and Moses has invested his time. You don't need to. The amount of people, the reason that I am here today is not just because my dad was a man of God, but because there were many people over my life that said, I am going to invest in you. You can have the biggest impact in someone else's life. One of my favorite things... Did Lisa leave? Did she leave, Jack? She had a baby. I think that's an excuse. Anyway, one of my favorite things right now is Lisa Irwin. When my daughter sees Lisa, she goes, Lisa! And runs at her and gives her a great big hug. I was going to say something mean, like we don't know why anybody likes Lisa, but she's not here to make fun of her. So, But I love that... My daughter is growing up where she sees other Christians that care enough about her that they want to go on playdates with her. Mom and dad love her, and then when she's a teenager, we're idiots, right? And especially during that period where we're stupid and don't know anything smart at all, we need y'all who can say, not necessarily even defending us, but say, hey, here's the right way. Here's the way to go. Like, you need to invest in someone beyond yourself, you can have your biggest impact in that life. That's what we see here with Moses and with Joshua. So how did this happen? Well, the first is this. We'll get there. And the first is that there is a pursuit. We see this in Exodus 24, verse 13. In Exodus 24, verse 13, this is the story of Moses going up on Mount Sinai, and he spends 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. And he is discussing, he's talking with God. God is giving him the law. You all see the Ten Commandments, like the burning thing, Charlton S. is there, and then the lightning goes, and I probably should have done like a gif or a meme or something where you could see it. But that scene where, where Moses is hanging out with God, and God is giving him the law. And what's interesting about this story is Moses and God are on their own, up there high on the mountain, and about halfway down the mountain, is Joshua. Moses brought him along with him. He doesn't get to go up into the presence of God, but, but, God, but, but Moses has brought him halfway. He has taken Joshua with him so that he can experience some of what it's like to be in leadership. He's living out. He's living out exactly what Moses told the people to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, And these words that I command you today 
shall be on your heart, on your will, on your innermost self. Shall write them on yourself in the innermost places, and you shall teach them to your children, but not just to your children. If you don't have children, if you, if you don't have any kids in your life, you still shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Because listen, it isn't just that God saved you and set you on your path. No, God pursued us so that we could have salvation, and then once we have been pursued and saved and set right, we now spend the rest of our life pursuing God, seeking his face, seeking his ways. And we see this demonstrated not just in Moses, but in Moses as he brings, as he brings Joshua along with him. This is what the psalmist gets at, and we read this earlier from Psalm verse 1. Blessed is the man who, who doesn't walk in the way and counsel of the wicked, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates. The word there is to mutter. He, he speaks the words day and night. And when we speak the words day and night, it allows us to be rooted in deep people because the world is full of frivolity. There has never been more ways to waste your time. We have never had so much time to waste. The world is full of these things, and the scriptures are calling to you that you were made for more than that. You were made for deep things. You were made to encounter God. You weren't made for the profane, which destroys and corrupts and pollutes. And you weren't made for the common. You were made for the holy. Each and every one of you is called to greatness. But the greatness comes at a cost, a high cost. The cost is you have to seek the holy and leave behind the common. If you want to be the person who does not wither, but is rooted in good times and bad times, you are not afraid, you are not corrupted, you are not worried, you are rooted in the depths of God. That's powerful stuff, but it isn't for everyone because the cost is so great. What does Jesus say? If you're going to count the cost... It's going to cost a cross. It's a high cost, but it is worth everything. It's worth everything. Which leads us into the second piece that I see Moses and Joshua engaging in, and that is passion. Passion. See, the pursuit of God has to be a passion. If it doesn't emerge from passion, then it's just rote law-keeping. And rote law-keeping isn't quite profane, but it isn't holy. God is not looking for people who can keep a list of rules. He's looking for people who are passionate about him and about his goodness and about his power and about his mercy and about his grace and about the world that is to come and who are not sucked into the things that are a waste. And this is one of the things that I've learned about passion. It is always caught. And that it's a positive and a negative thing. Uh, one of the biggest influencers on my life was, is my childhood minister, um, Mel Harrell. And there is a passion in him for preaching the word of God. And I caught it. I caught it. There's a passion for 
God and for scripture that came from my own father, which was given to him from, by his father, and we've passed that on as well. There is a passion there. And I promise you this, though, and I, let me defend myself before you accuse me. I am a young man to many of you. Can I get a whistle? It's okay. You can say it. It's all right. It's all right. 36, 5. <laughs> we'll be 36. And uh, I have grown up going to church. And uh, I have many different churches and uh, seen different things. This December will mark my 16th year, give a, probably a little bit more, my 16th year of ministry as a youth minister, an associate minister, and a senior minister. And so I have seen people come and I have seen them go. And I promise you this. This is my dad part. I promise you, this is my mom part too, actually. I promise you this. My, if you have grandparents part too, and if you have like nieces and nephews you're really involved in, or if you work in our youth wing, this is if you deal with kids, is this. If God is second in your life, he will be third in your children's life. If he is second in your life, he will be third in your children's life. And I don't know how far down we go before we reach the place where you are not really even a Christian anymore. But let me say this. I have seen it play out, and I've seen it play out so many times, and just the, the faces and the names roll through my mind. I've seen it. If God is not first in your life, he will not be first in your kids' lives. Now, I'm not saying if he is first in your life, he will be first in your kids' lives. I am promising you this. If he is second in your life, he will be third in your kids' lives. Which is a, a heavy burden and a joy and a responsibility that we are the people who are pursuing with passion the holy things of God, setting aside the common things of God, not just for our own soul's sake, but so that those around us can see what real Christ-like living could look like. What real discipleship, how did Jesus get 12 guys to spend every instance of their life to the point of which some of them were martyred in horrific ways? They saw in him glory. And Jesus isn't walking around here today. And so what glory are people going to see? They're going to see glory in you. They're only going to see glory in you if your pursuit of God is passion. And they can match your intensity. They can match your intensity. The third thing begins with a dangerous warning. And this has to be said, and I'm sorry that it happens all on this day when we follow something so much fun. Uh, but it follows from this. And that is the story of Joshua after Joshua's legacy goes away. It comes from... Uh, yeah, I forgot that. There we go. Judges. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. It uh, talks about how this is, this is after, Moses, or after Moses dies and after Joshua dies. Here we have this, this vision, the next book after the book of Joshua, Judges. The people worship the Lord all the days of Joshua's life. 
His impact on the people of God around him was one of faithfulness and goodness to God. And the days of the elders who, who outlived Joshua, so the generation that kind of comes after Joshua but has a memory of Joshua, there's, this, there's a sense in which Joshua's effect has gone into this next. This legacy has been carried out, and faithfulness continues with the people. And then here comes the danger. That generation dies. They're gathered to their ancestors. And another generation grows up after them. And what? They do not know the Lord. And we have then the book of Judges, which is literally a book of nightmares. It is literally a book of horrors and nightmares. And it includes how God delivers people from that, certainly. But after they've spent 20, 30, 40, a generation in the midst of that oppression. And so we have this grave warning that sits here. Not only that that power and glory and goodness and wonder and what you can give and be in someone else's life if you pour it out in passionate pursuit of God, but also what happens when we forget the holy and we move to the common, eventually we will land in the profane and there is nothing but horror and heartbreak and destruction here. And so we must be a people that see the difference, that are able to live and say, I don't want that, I do want that. I want to pursue God. And so in order to do that, though, I think we need to do this. We need to make it personal. You cannot, you cannot grandfather anyone into the kingdom. That's part of the problem. If we could, I mean, if we could save our children, our grandchildren, we could just sort of baptize them when they weren't looking, like push that kid in the water, I might do that, it's fun. I'll do that, but that's not baptism, right? It has to come from them. It has to be their passion. It has to be their call. It has to be something that they take a hold of and then they echo it back and they pursue God with passion. Moses does this. I'm sorry, Joshua, Moses does this too. Joshua does this as well. And Joshua does this in this wonderful text here. I find this to be a text of great hope and a text that I would like for, for you to leave with you on this day, whether, um, whether you're dad or not. This to me is just a text that speaks about the power of a legacy and a life well lived. And what we see here is this text from Joshua where Joshua calls the people together and, and he makes it personal for them. He says, listen, it's funny, they have a little argument. He says, listen, uh, you need to choose today if you're going to follow God or not follow God. And they say, oh, we'll, we'll follow God. And Joshua, I love Joshua. He says, in fact, this is, sidetrack, not going to get there. Uh, I love what Joshua says because Joshua says, no, y'all can't do it. <laughs> God's holy, and you're too, you're too interested in the profane. You're, you're not going to be able to do it. And they say, no, 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 we really are. We're going to do it. We can do it. And Joshua says again, not now, I don't think he can. I don't think he can. It's like reverse psychology. I don't know if this is like biblical reverse psychology or what he's after there. But they finally say, yeah, and they convince him. And so he has this. He says, now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, this is kind of his final statement on it, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, what they served beyond the river, that's sort of in the, in the gods of the Amorites or in, in, in Egypt in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you all have this. Anybody have this as a plaque or something in your house? Nautons. Do you have it in your house? Not, not you. Not you. Him. 
Childhood house or your current house? Both. Man. Double Jesus points for you. I love it. I love it. I am, um, I am not saying I am good at this. In fact, I've spent most of this week and the past several weeks really wrestling with, uh, really wrestling with my love of the common. Uh, many of you know I, I really wrestle with that. That is an issue in my life. And so my mantra over the past several weeks, my prayer just kind of has been rolling through my brain, and I hope that God makes something of it, is this. God, God, make me love what you love and hate what you hate. Because I want to stand between the holy and the common and be able to tell which is which so that I can pursue that which is holy. My favorite story about Joshua is the story I, I forgot to put up there earlier. But this, this story about Joshua where, where Moses goes into the tent of meeting and he is going to like talk. It says in the text that God speaks with him face to face like you would speak to him. Imagine that. You're talking to God in this like shimmery. In fact, it's so incredible this shimmery, shiny cloud that they just call it the cloud of glory because what do you call it? It's just too much. And Moses is there face to face with God, which is just mind-blowing. And where's Joshua? He is outside of the tent. He doesn't have the privilege of going in to face God. He doesn't get that. And the text tells us that when God finished talking with Moses, Moses would leave the tent and go back to the camp I'm done talking to God. You know, he's, he's gone, or maybe he stayed. I don't know. Whatever God does, God does. But Moses leaves, nevertheless. And it says, Joshua refused to leave. Joshua refused to leave. He would not leave the place that was holy. He didn't even get to see God. He didn't get to talk to God. He didn't get the privileges of Moses. And he said, listen, this place, I am not going anywhere. This is the place where God is. This is holiness. This is the holy. Back there is the common. I have no interest in that. Give me holy. Give me holy. And that's what I want. And that's what I want for all of you. Because I believe... God wants that of all of you. I believe that he wants to give you all of that and more, but it only comes when, as this series has been over and over again repeating, we're just hoping it gets into you, infects you, and messes with everything you are. It only comes when God is first. If God is second, you will never enter holy. If God is third, you'll never enter holy. If God is way down the line, you'll never enter holy. But you you can enter holy, and I can enter holy by the grace of the living God. And Paul disappeared, and that's where I'm done. <laughs> Shall we stand and sing Amazing Grace, or do you, do you got a guitar? Do you have a plan? Oh, okay, all right. That's a good place to end, uh, and it's a good place to end because I do believe that this is an opportunity for each and every one of us to ask the question of what is your legacy? What are your last words? What do you need to make right with? We'll have our elders down front here. If you need to get right with God, today's the day. Get right with God. Get on the path to holy. Get away from the profane. Get away from the common. And get, get to where God is. Let's stand as we sing.